welcome to episode 147 of the Chills of War podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Before we get to the episode with Jonathan Escoffrey, I hope you caught episode 146. That was with Sandy Ho, and Sandy works with Alice Wong, who wrote The Year of the Tiger and Activist Life. Both Sandy and Alice are, are you know, legends. They're, Alice is known as an oracle. She works in disability communities and beyond. And she's somebody with so much wisdom who has put in the work. And so I hope you check that last episode, especially for the GoFundMe. Alice has had some, some health setbacks over the summer. And there's a GoFundMe page set up for her that I hope we can help to donate to so, so that she can get the care that she needs. I would ask you, please, to check out my Patreon page. The Patreon page is new. New for the Chills Will podcast. This is patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast peter real and my name is p-e-t-e-r-r-i-e-h-l patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast peter real there are three tiers that you can sign up for you can check out the benefits that come with that the first bonus episode is coming out this wednesday which is october 19th and that is a discussion that features work from Tommy Orange, the great, Luis Erdrich, the great, and El Gran Señor, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. That'd be the first bonus episode. That is one of many perks, many benefits you will receive through Patreon. I am a DIY podcaster. It is just me. I edit, I write, I outline, I read the books. And so I would really appreciate your help and your support with my Patreon page. I want to thank this week's new Patreon members. That's Mark Armstrong. Check out Ursa's story. That's Daniel Ruiz, former guest, great author of two books. And Tammy Balhorn, a great reader and a great friend of the podcast. Thanks to Mark Armstrong, Daniel Ruiz, and Tammy Ballhorn for their patronage. As always, I appreciate anybody who listens to even one episode. Thank you for those who listen to many or all. Patreon.com backslash Chills at Will podcast. Peter Real. Let's get to the show. Hello, I am Pete Real, a high school English and Spanish teacher, an avid reader, and an aspiring writer. Thank you for listening to the Chills at Will podcast, in which we explore the visceral beauty of literature and its connection to our culture, our history, and ourselves. Pleasure today to be joined by Jonathan Escoffrey. And here's a bit about Jonathan. He's the author of the Link Story Collection, If I Survive You, a National Book Award nominee, a New York Times Editor's Choice, and an indie national bestseller. If I Survive You has been named a best or most anticipated book by Entertainment Weekly, 
Oprah Daily, Good Morning America Online, Goodreads, BuzzFeed, Vulture, LA Times, Shondaland, Time, The Root, Vanity Fair, Kirkus, The Millions, BET, O Quarterly Magazine, Real Simple, and elsewhere. His stories have appeared in the Paris Review, Oprah Daily, Electric Literature, Zizivia, Agni, Pleiades, American Short Fiction, Prairie Schooner, Passages North, and elsewhere. Jonathan has taught creative writing and seminars on the writer's life at Stanford University, the University of Minnesota, the Center for Fiction, Tin House, Writers in Progress, and at Grub Street in Boston, where as former staff, he founded the Boston Writers of Color Group, which currently has more than 2,000 members. He is a 2021 to 2023 Wallace Stegner Fellow at Stanford University. Ooh, that's a mouthful. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm glad, I'm glad you made it through that. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I mean, so many achievements, so many accomplishments. This The, the Link Story Collection is incredible. We'll definitely be talking about that later on. Thank How does you. it, you know, first of all, good morning. And again, thanks for joining me. It's, it's an honor to have you on. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. How has it been in this, like, in the wake, I guess wake has a negative connotation, but in the wake of this <laughs> success and, you know, awards and, you know, Oprah and, you know, Good Morning America, like, how does it feel? <laughs> it feels great. I mean, I, I think I, I do have a um, tendency to uh, feel things when I am imagining them in the future or when I'm looking back on them in the past. So, you know, there's a way in which I'm, I'm still too close to all of this to actually okay. uh, know what it all means and and know what to do with, uh, you know, the emotions, the the highs and lows. Um Sometimes you, you know, you, you, you get a thing or you, you have a, an accomplishment, I guess what could be perceived as an accomplishment, a positive thing for the book, and you feel absolutely nothing. <laughs> and then sometimes, you know, something surprises you and it's like, oh my God, like this is the thing that really, you know, is filling me with, with um, a kind of joy or, or just, uh, I don't know surprise elation uh and and so you know i'm still sorting all of that out i think yeah. uh for the moment i want to know have you have you gotten any shout outs from uh from trick daddy <laughs> i'm still waiting for him to hear from uh trick daddy's book okay. club okay um, yeah well I'm, not I'm, yet you know him or luke. he has one who's, who's the other one i'm sorry oh luke okay luke yeah luther campbell uncle luke as we call him uh yes. in miami okay pitbull maybe no. next right Mr. 305. Yeah, hopefully <laughs> one of these guys have to, uh, <laughs> or Trina, Trina. Any, yeah. Any yeah, no, no. Good, good love from, um, uh, books and books. Uh, my, my Even hometown, better. uh, bookstore, uh, Mitch Kaplan and, and lots of love from Miami, uh, which was, you know, I didn't necessarily bank on it, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but it did come through in a, in a big way. And, and, you know, that feels really wonderful. That's awesome. Well, you know, I like uh, I had a chance to talk to Natalie Lima, mm-hmm. right? Um, Robin Pigero, some greats from from Miami or from Hialeah, from the area. Yeah, and yeah, they've they've always mentioned books and books, and um, you know, it's great to uh, obviously the book is very much rooted in place. I'm going to ask you about that a little right. bit later about how much you know. You almost feel like it's a character, but um, that's mm-hmm. great. That's very cool. And like I said, congratulations on all the achievements. So well received, well deserved, and, and we'll talk about the book in a bit. I'd love to know how how it all kind of started. I mean, were you like a bookish kid? Were you Tr- Trelawney? Is that how you pronounce the name? The main character from the collection? Trelawney. Trelawney. 
Yeah. I mean, do you have some Trelawney in you? Were you the one, you know, always reading? Were you the one, the, the sensitive one, you know, in the room? You know, I, I love to know, like, your relationship with words and language growing up. Yeah, uh, I, I definitely have some Trelawney in me. And I was uh, a bookish kid, definitely an introvert. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely the one at the kitchen table um, with my family who wasn't fighting to get a a word in <laughs> I, you know I don't have a, a big immediate family but my my mom comes from uh, she was one of 11 siblings oh, wow. and I think she has always felt that need to uh, argue her way into mm-hmm. a, a conversation whether it's a conversation of two or, or, or four mm. um, and and you know I, I think I was the one you know my brother very much picked that up from her and mm um well we'll cut you know <laughs> cut you off uh, but it's but not in a bad like everyone's cutting each other off yeah. so it's kind of mutual thing right. and i would just kind of sit there like mm. but i would observe and i would listen and you know especially when my family would talk about these uh stories that took place in jamaica uh before my birth i i would listen very intently and um kind of make uh mental notes and you know, eventually when I, I, you know, as a kid, I wanted to write, but I, I never really knew what my subject matter was. And as I got older and I started to realize that this um, actual family history and lived experience could actually be worthy of putting in a book because mm-hmm. I wasn't really seeing it in books um, otherwise, you know, and I figured, well, this is, this could be my contribution to, to literature. Mm-hmm. And um, so in a sense, listening really paid me back and, and allowed me to, to tell these stories. Mm. How about language with your parents being from Jamaica? If there, if there are any parallels to like, especially the first story of the collection, you know, it was like, you know, there were, there were people would say to about Trelawney's mom, like what, what language is she speaking? Right. <laughs> um, the second mm-hmm. story, I want to, the second story, I believe, right. Is in, is in the father's right. um, point of view is in his voice. What um, I guess not just about language, but what about Jamaica? What about your parents' history? You know, I guess propelled you forward in your learning, um, you know, made you maybe more worldly or less worldly than people your own age. I mean, it's hard to, to, to say, I, I think something that helped me, um, figure out how to, I, I don't know if it's a, a question of worldliness, but um, I think a question of being always hyper aware of my position as a kind of, I don't know, like an outsider. Like I was the American, I was the American born person in my house, the only mm-hmm. one. Um, and I, I felt like very much I had these uh, dual cultures, much like Chelani, I was put in daycares and preschools, you know, from basically from birth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would come home with my little American accent. And largely it's because I spent most of my time with people who, who weren't my family. Uh-huh. You know, I spent all day with these these other caretakers and um and my parents would kind of be looking at me like, oh, you're kind of strange. You're this little Yankee kid. <laughs> um, but then outside of my house, you know, I'm growing up in Miami at, at the time. And as I'm, you know, not a baby anymore, but I'm, I'm going to school with, with these friends. And, you know, basically none of my friends had uh, American parents, right. uh, you know, if, if they were born in, in the U.S. Uh, themselves. Uh, so they all, so everyone kind of had these stories from um you know, wherever like back home was that, mm. that their parents came from. And, 
Um, but in terms of, you know, it's not like Jamaicans or Anglophone Caribbean people hold any kind of majority in Miami. And so there was still kind of this like, well, we, you know, a lot of my friends are like, we have this narrative of why our, our parents left. And sometimes those narratives, it would be really fascinating Um but they would take up a lot of space in the room. And I felt like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I need to, I need to also like one, become aware of like my own family's narrative because we also come from a place, you know? And I, I had to, um, I think that in a way made me a little bit more interested in, um, well, let me figure out like where, where my family history is, is coming from and it, and its significance. And um you know, I think it's interesting as a as a writer when you grow up in a city where this might be or come off as kind of hyperbolic, but it's like my parents didn't speak in in any kind of standard American English, and none of my par- none of my friends' parents did either, and it's weird because it's like you you what's wonderful is like you inherit. Like, I, I would not say it at all that I'm fluent in Spanish, but like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of Spanish that's just so, so familiar to me. Right, and right, right. It's part of my vocabulary. Um, and then there's the Jamaican Patois that's part of my vocabulary, even though I don't typically like speak with much of a Jamaican accent. Um, and there's my, you know, my Haitian friends and uh, like, there's all these languages. And what, what I would find is that, um, you know, leaving Miami, going to a place like the Midwest and um, it's almost like the, 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 the language, the English language, the way it was used seemed so like kind of different to me in a sense. Mm. Um, but I appreciated growing up in a place where I had to kind of familiarize myself with other people's cultures and uh, the way people spoke the, 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 the language, like the, not just, you know, like Haitian Creole or, or, or Spanish or Jamaican Patois, but you know, the way the children of, of those immigrants used English mm. um, versus uh, my more, you know, I've spent a billion years in universities at this point mm-hmm. with all my graduate education. And, um, you know, the it's it's just such a, a different experience of having to balance these different kinds of English in a sense. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I wanted to bring a little bit of that to the page as, as well and, mm-hmm. and um, you know, value and honor that and and not look at it as any kind of drawback, but think, well, how can we actually deepen and en- enrich this world that these mm-hmm. characters are are moving through um, even beyond their Jamaican household? Because that's never really been my experience that is, as many, you know, Jamaicans as I have in my family and my friend communities, you know, I've, we've never been, I've never felt that like homogenous community i've always been navigating multiple communities at a time Hmm. and um and and i think that's you know part of what the book is about definitely thank you for that i appreciate that well there's there's a lot there as you got older or even you know from the very beginning what were you reading then like were you into you know other worlds since you knew so many worlds were you like let's explore more in science fiction that kind of thing were you were you reading jamaican or caribbean authors were you aware that there was a, a dearth you know you know that that representation was was for sure limited as it unfortunately still is today like how did you mm-hmm. kind of 
um, navigate just reading? Was it just, hey, this is fun to read. I like it. Or were you kind of thinking deeper, especially as you got older about like representation in different worlds? Yeah, I I, I didn't think. I, I guess I, I, I did think about it. So I, I, I grew up reading when I say grew up. What I mean is when I started actually choosing the books mm. that I read, um, whether I was I mean, I read so many science fiction books that I would just take out from the library that I honestly couldn't even tell you what the titles were because mm-hmm. I just read them and I really loved them. And then I would, you know, trade them out for something, mm-hmm. for something new. And I could tell you more about the storylines than who wrote them or what the titles right. were. But I was big into um, books that I bought a lot as a kid were like R.L. Stein books. Okay. I was simultaneously reading like Goosebumps, okay. which is kind of for younger uh, readers than the fair street where everyone's oh, all yeah. these teenagers are getting murdered right. <laughs> and you have to figure out well who's who's killing them is it a stranger is it you know a classmate who is it uh i love those books and i i really think those grounded me in um plot in a in a way that i would never i would never trade out um that experience of of you know really wanting to um have moving storylines even as we're getting to know these characters and learn about culture and learn about, you know, uh, things like exclusion or economic, you know, precarity. But, uh, but yeah, I, I really, I really love those books. I love the Hardy boys too. Um, for, for a time. Uh, I mean, I had a, I, I read like the first 50 books. I had a collection. They're still in a trunk in a closet somewhere in, in, uh, my, my dad's house. But, uh, you know, when it, when it came time to actually start writing these stories and I was, I was writing from, you know, before my teenage years, I have these, I still have some of these journals where Uh I'd be trying to write these mysteries and, um, I kind of would mirror the way a lot of those protagonists were written, which is to say they didn't really talk much about, like they like sometimes they'd say oh like this character was blonde or this one um this character had uh i don't know uh, you know some some kind of red hair or something I, I i never really thought about like what it meant to actually write like the race of a character or, mm. or and i it was just so rare that i would read a character who was black for or or any race that isn't white Mm. um oftentimes though the the narrators wouldn't necessarily be described as white though like like maybe it was kind of implied in you know this way and that way and not just the protagonist but like the whole cast the 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 minor characters like a default mode type of thing right? yeah yeah our our default um kind of i mean it, it it was it, it it became apparent that all these characters were white, but but um, I'm thinking of when I was reading you know the Hardy Boys uh, series, and I really I haven't looked at one of those books in in so many years. Um, you know, I, I I hope not to be misrepresenting my experience of it, but I remember there was a, a an issue, or sorry, one of the books they the the Hardy Boys leave their little town uh, in the Northeast and they go on this, you know, adventure to Egypt and they started describing like 
brown bodies with such disgust <laughs> mm. <laughs> that you know this is like the 50th book i've read or because i think maybe that was when i said hmm let me put these books down um even as like a 13 year old and it was kind of that moment where i like you know the light bulb came on and i realized oh like even though they didn't say you know those other 200 characters that i read about it never mm. said like you know I'm going to date Kelly and Kelly is a white girl. Um, it, it, it just said, you know, she's a beautiful blah, blah, blah. Right. And um, then we have the brown body that's described as grotesque. And it's like, oh, now I realize like, I had like none of those other people who ever came before were, were brown skinned people. Hmm. Um, and, you know, I started to think about like, well, how am I, how am I going to create characters who like, are they going to look like me? Are they going to be default white characters? Um, am I going to try to be like slick with it where, well, mm-hmm. I'll say I imagine a black guy, but I'll never say he's black mm-hmm. <laughs> or, you know, like try to get away with something. Um, will that be, I mean, is that what I have to do if I'm not really reading these other books? And part of the problem is that, you know, nobody was really putting these books in front of me because certainly there's a wonderful tradition where I could have been reading black authors who are writing up either about blackness or they're writing about other things, but you know, black people were involved in those, in those storylines. And um, you know, those books, I, I went to school in Florida. I, you know, I always say I, I never want to beat up on Florida, but <laughs> we, you know, we, we, we read the same I don't know, this like the same five books in, in high school. We would read them over and over again, you know, over the years. And I think once um, James Baldwin came into play and and it was Sonny's Blues and it was like, oh, here's, you know, here's how you might uh, approach um, race and culture or just story in general um, with with Black characters. And uh, it wasn't until college that I, you know, I, I, when I was able to actually choose my classes and mm. um, then I started to actually see like how one might approach creating characters who, who who look a little bit more like me or may have had, you know, some of the um, uh, experiences that I, that I wasn't seeing in some of that other literature that might connect to my life. And um you know, that was really, that was really helpful. It was also helpful to also start reading, um, uh, particularly Latina authors who, um, were writing about their experiences as, uh, I guess, second generation immigrants in a sense. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that I felt really, related a lot to my experience even though it wasn't like exactly my experience I could see the parallels in my experience as the son of immigrants and you know putting those two things together like reading a lot of work from the Harlem Renaissance and Mm -hmm. um reading I don't know there's a lot of there's a lot of like you mentioned Hialeah like reading how to leave Hialeah Mm -hmm. um by uh Janine Capoe-Crisset uh um, and you know, it's a ton of other books that those things were, were really helpful for me to even imagine like, well, if you haven't seen a character who seems to have had an experience like yours, mm-hmm. you can see like you can take this from from that book and you can take this from that book and yeah. start like mashing these things together. 
Hmm. Um, just to imagine yourself on the page. Um, this is obviously not my memoir, though. This is this is you know it's a fictional book that I've written, but um, it, it's still coming from my life. And then wanted to honor like uh, the fact that Jamaica, there's a lot of Jamaican Americans in this country and and in South Florida. Hmm. Wow, thank you. Yeah, just the idea of imagining yourself on the page is obviously a, a profound thought. If you if you had to choose if you had to choose absolutely had to choose would you pick um james baldwin's fiction or nonfiction? uh nonfiction. okay uh the fire next time which was one that i, I think uh i came to way too late way too late uh, no nah, never too late right <laughs> well yeah yeah better better late than never uh you know that just really blew my mind i, I um I, th- I think it paints a picture of America that America <laughs> certainly doesn't want to uh, mm-hmm. acknowledge even today, but I think we're we're kind of getting closer and closer. As, as long ago as that book was written, um, I think uh, what we'll acknowledge of ourselves as this country that you know has has never been perfect and has never been for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I think he you know and whatever it is, 160 pages. He 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 paints. Um, a, a picture that feels a lot realer to or a lot more accurate in terms of like how I've experienced the world and experienced moving through the U.S. Um, than than anything else I've, I've read. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I hope that the Floridians will get to read Baldwin, right? I mean, with all the stuff that's going on about <laughs> I know. The books they're banning and, and history mm-hmm. being, you know, history starting in, I don't know, issue starting in 1995 and everything's been great since or, you know, <laughs> right. or starting in 1950 when things were great you know or, or that yeah exactly you know, right yeah. right and there's the that kind of contradiction right it's like things were, were better then um right. and that's how we we want it to be but we we want to skip over like why things why everything was the way it was then the the why is important right the why is really really important but a lot of people don't want to get into that. Yeah, yeah. So you know, you talk about that. I I often ask guests about like a like a light bulb moment, uh, like when like man, I, you know, now I know I want to be a writer. I can do this. Someone loved my work. Someone important to me. Someone who's just, you know, or I just knew it myself. You gave that. You know, unfortunately, it was a you know kind of a negative one, but led to positive things. That the Hardy Boys, you know, and oh my God, the way they're describing you know people in Egypt, etc. But like, so did you have a, a eureka moment or moments where you're like. I can do this. People like what I read, what I write, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I don't, I don't any Eureka moments that, that where you're just like, this is the vocation. This is the job. Yeah, maybe. Um, I would say there, you know, it was kind of a small series of handoffs. Hmm. Um, I had re-enrolled in in college in my mid twenties, like 24, 25. And, um, you know, I, I got a lot of encouragement for my writing, you know, in my real young days, like elementary school, mm-hmm. high school was kind of a mess. Um, I was a terrible student, but I also think I had a lot of terrible teachers, mm-hmm. <laughs> just to be frank. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had this really wonderful um, 
instructor in college who was teaching my you know ENC 101 like comp class and I took her again for my 202 class and she was someone who pulled me aside and it's not like I didn't know I already wanted to be a writer like I was working on this um, sci-fi novel that never wound up going anywhere but she she pulled me aside and she said you know you really need to pursue writing in in whichever way you know whether it's fiction or um, or otherwise and she'd ask me you know what my major was and I, I I think I was pretty much undeclared at that point she was like you should do English and I was like what do I do with my English degree <laughs> and um, I still have that question but uh, it was kind of the first time I, I'd received that kind of encouragement in um, in, a, in a really long time uh, and she was kind of like no like you you must do this and um and so i'm i you know i i i don't think i really knew that i needed that encouragement at the time but what i did know is that i was enjoying like the best thing i had going on in life were, were was those classes and then i started taking creative writing workshops and um i learned about a competition i was writing a lot of I was writing prose, but I was writing a lot of poetry at the time too. And I wound up getting, I was a honorable mention, which is kind of like the the second place (laughs) poetry prize. But I uh, was invited to come to the ceremony, which there was reading involved. I didn't read that night, but they, you know, they said your name and they read what the judges had to say about your work. And um, the the judge had, you know, written something really beautiful about what I had. I think, honestly, the judge's description of my poem was probably even like better than my poem in a way. Um, but there was an after reception and everybody was just so... Um, everyone really valued writing in a way that I'd never been surrounded by a bunch of people who really valued it and wanted to make their lives about writing. Mm. Um, And that was, you know, that was, this was some undergrads, but I think it was mostly graduate students who were in the MFA at um, this, what I'm talking about, where I'm talking about is Florida International University. Um, And the professors were, were um, present as well. And everybody was just, um, really welcoming to 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 everyone and welcoming everyone to that conversation and Mm. um i i thought well this is like a really great feeling and i want to extend this feeling you know for as long as for as long as i can so i you know i took more classes and i think it was the very next year that i i won the poetry prize yeah and so then i got to read my work and um one of the best nights of my my life it was like really um a phenomenal uh night and experience and um i think around that point i had really learned what an mfa program was and the fact that you could get funded at um at some programs and so I knew at that point, like that was what I was going to do. Mm. And um, it, it gave me direction in a way that I, I had never really had before. And even it was like, even if I don't necessarily know how long-term, like how everything is going to, mm. you know, align, uh, I, I, I knew I, I wanted to continue to, I guess, chase that, chase that good feeling of, you know, honoring the the work in 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 this way and that way 
and not so much about like winning awards, but just like surrounding myself with people who value what I value, which is not, it's not always easy to find. Hmm. Um, and that was, you know, I was trying to decide, am I like, I'm getting more, I guess you could say like little accolades for the poetry, but when I show up for a poetry class, as much as I would enjoy them, I wouldn't necessarily feel feel like I had like the grasp of the language to, you know, read someone else's poem and then mm. articulate exactly what it is that I'm seeing in it and how it's working. Or even if I did have the language, like I didn't necessarily feel joy in that. But when I show up for my fiction workshops, I felt yeah. so much joy being able to uh, express what I was seeing in in other people's work, and that was the determinant factor that made me apply mm. for for fiction programs instead of instead of poetry. Oh. Which a lot of people at the time who knew me, they're actually like surprised. They're like, uh, uh. but um, but that you know worked out. Huh? It worked out for sure. <laughs> uh, shout out to the FI FIU. What's their mascot? Panthers. The Panthers, yeah, yeah, yeah. Panthers, and, yeah. And, and has the professor you talked about who really guided you, has has she had a chance to, you know, to, to meet, to see you again, or have you guys in contact, or does she know about the new book and everything? You know, I, I don't even, I don't even know. I, I've tried to keep in touch with her over the years, and um, it's been kind of spotty, so... But 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 this this latest spottiness I'll put on on my side because I, I just I haven't really tried I'm I'm bad at, at that kind of thing I'll thank people all the time but like yeah. not in front of them <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I did you know my first fiction professor John Dufresne like my f- first professor who just taught me like my my first fiction class that wasn't uh-huh. multi genre and I, I really like to think of him as the person who gave me a foundation nice. in writing fiction. And what, what I liked about um, John's teaching, it was very like ground level. Like I, it, it wasn't super high theoretical stuff, uh-huh. which I appreciate that stuff too, but sure. it doesn't really mean anything until I have that kind of more grounded yeah. um, uh, education. And, and he was, he was a really wonderful professor and he um, uh, came out and, and, co-hosted the uh books and books event oh, uh so when, cool. I, when i was in miami on um, you know back in september so cool you're a teacher you're a professor you're just talking about some of the the ones who really uh inspired you over the years how has teaching i don't know if it's been spotty i don't know if it's been like you know some teaching here and then sabbatical or, or that or if it's been straight teaching but how does teaching um and man you know you you talking about those like the readings and being amongst, you know, other people who are so interested in literature, like just makes me miss academia so much more, you know? Yeah. The idea of being like, you can, you know, those, these are people who are into the same things, but right. Um, what, how has teaching informed your writing and vice versa? Mm, um, you, you have to, well, well for me, I, I, I know um, when I come up with a lesson uh, for a given class, I have to, I have to believe what, what I'm teaching, which I don't, like, do it seems know? obvious, do you know? no, do you... but, but well, when I, when I first started teaching, first of all, I was, I was kind of terrified. Um, and I yeah. first started teaching in, uh, in when I first started grad school about, I don't know, 10 years ago now or mm. 11 years ago. And, um, you know, you, when you first teach, you start to think, 
uh, well, what have I learned and how can I, in a sense, regurgitate that? Right. <laughs> and, you know, of course, like the things, if, you, if it strikes you as something, if something you've learned strikes you as particularly useful to your own work, of course, like it makes sense that you, you teach that, but sometimes you, you just start leaning on things that you have been told. And mm. what I, I found, what I found out pretty quickly, thankfully, is like, if it, if it doesn't actually make sense to me, then I can't teach it. I can't teach it well. Um, it doesn't even sound true coming out of my mouth. <laughs> you know, yeah. like I can't even like fake it. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, what I was starting to say is that, you know, sometimes, you know, a couple, I, I, you know, I, I started teaching a couple years go by and sometimes what you even believe like the concepts you came up with for yourself for your own writing you start to question some of those things if you're paying mm. attention and so teaching for me like it keeps me really fresh in terms of yeah. what i believe because sometimes i'll pull up an old document and i'll be reading through as i'm preparing for a class and i'm like oh like i, I really want to shift this and change this and and if i don't like it's still like it, it doesn't it's it's it doesn't come out right when i'm when i'm teaching it's like yeah. oh like you're repeating yourself and you're repeating what you believed, you know, a year and a half ago, but you, you really need to update this because it's because um, every because you also learn as you write. And I think the teaching part really makes you articulate what you're learning as mm -hmm. you're creating stories and creating characters uh, on the page. And so that's what I love about about, about teaching. It, it kind of makes you because sometimes you, sometimes you'll sit down and you, you write a draft of a story and you do that over the course of who knows how long, maybe, a, maybe a week, maybe a month, maybe a year. Um, but you still may not be diagramming exactly like this is what I'm actually doing. Okay. And it's the teaching part that makes you go back and think, what was I actually doing? Some of it's going to be kind of flowing out of you semi subconsciously. Mm -hmm. um, and teaching allows you to, be more conscious with it and actually write down what it is you you do and you're able to when you believe it like when you understand like okay yeah that's what i did that's how i accomplished this thing now you can actually take that right back to the page mm. and you know understand you know at one point i was uh the the title story which is the the story that closes out the book it's the longest story word count page count wise mm -hmm. and i was really stuck um at a certain point in that story i didn't really know how to move it forward and i started uh, like now i know how i would approach such a thing which is you know one of the things i did I, I listed out all my characters and i thought well chelani's my main character he's the narrator of this final story what um what's his dynamic between each of these other characters and you know, how many scenes do I have him in with each of these characters? Like he can't just have one conversation with his, his um, mother, for example, and then she disappears. Like it doesn't feel full. There's no uh -huh. arc to that conversation. Um, and then obviously moving that forward with the, um, the, the more central uh, conflict with his, with his brother and, and obviously with his, his father and yeah. um, being able to, in a sense, um, diagram those things and, and build those out. Uh, you know, that's, that was a strategy that I had to come up with, but now I remember that strategy to hopefully sure. move forward to another story. Huh. So you talk about like fresh and that kind of runs, it kind of makes me think of like two things. One is like um, in 
in knowing all these things and having the foundations, I mean, way more than the foundations and having written this book and gotten through like plot issues and all that, like, is there some, is there, is there like a danger in like overthinking it, like getting too like mechanical and losing like the, I don't mm-hmm. know, the visceral part of it or the, you know, second part of that would be kind of unrelated, but still this idea of fresh, like who, like, who are you teaching, you know, this idea, let's let our students know for sure. And you're obviously a publishing author as we speak like you know let our let our let our students know like writing wasn't just done in 1940s like there are people writing and there's a you know a burgeoning you know literary community like who are you teaching slash reading now that really excites you and inspires your own work maybe sorry i know that's a lot and they're kind of disparate questions but <laughs> i can remind you you know in a second if you forget. <laughs> yeah another great book that that takes place in part in uh well the caribbean and miami um women of salts gabriella garcia okay yeah 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 another uh currently bay area uh author oh that's right okay nice um that was a really great one to to read and i'm i'm always trying to test my miami in a sense against mm. other people's <laughs> view just cuz i i don't know i could be delusional i don't know <laughs> like maybe i'm maybe i'm making all this stuff up but <laughs> It usually, um, whenever I do it, it usually rings pretty, pretty true. Um, uh, pretty recently, I read Morgan Talty's Night of the Living Res, which is a wonderful book. Man. It's another one that's like mine. It's like, are these, is this a story collection? Is it a novel? Yeah. Hey, yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's one of my favorite reads of mm-hmm. the of the year. Um, beautiful language. I just love the way the book kind of moves between this younger version of this family i'll say right the given character and um the given protagonist uh and I, I love i love really imperfect uh families and this is uh-huh. you know, like clearly a, an imperfect family that's still worthy of our attention hmm. uh, as readers as and and worthy of bringing um our uh bringing readers into into this world so that we can learn about about them and yeah i just i you know i hope that book gets gets everything it it, it deserves mm-hmm. uh, with with attention and i just started dipping into sweet soft plenty rhythm all right Girls, uh debut um yeah, it's like I refuse to read people who have second books. I only read <laughs> debut authors now. That's it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> now that I'm on team debut author, <laughs> and um, you know, it's uh, it's I, I kind of just started it, but it's drawn me in really quickly. There's, I love that a book that's about a musician mm. has such. It's so lyrical already, and there's such rhythm. <laughs> it would be really might be disappointed if that weren't the case but it mm-hmm. but it does not disappoint at all, it, all it's right. like i love that when you have musical prose you're drawn in just so quickly so much more quickly than mm-hmm. I, I guess other you know other writing strengths and sure. and this one has drawn me in just from the first sentence that's awesome um something i like to teach uh you know i tend to teach books and stories that i've, I've read multiple times um uh who will greet you at home is a, a story in what it means when a man falls from the sky by leslie neka arima okay um and that's like this really wonderful um i guess I don't know. I, I'm really bad at like, is this, uh, is this surrealism? This is not surreal. It's like, <laughs> it's like folk 
<laughs> I don't know. Yeah, this is where I fall genre down. Genre bending, genre bending. It's yeah. genre bending. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's about <laughs> these um, uh, this world in which babies are created out of different materials, and um, they have to. You know, you can create them out of paper, you can create them out of sticks and mud, you can create mm. them out of ceramic, gold, whatever um, materials you have uh, on hand. And that kind of speaks to like these these class differences and what kind of life these babies may be fated to to have. But it's also about um, love and the protagonist feeling like she never was worthy of love because of what she was made of. But oh. she, so she tries to make a baby out of materials that she sees as better than herself. And um, she really goes after what she wants in this way that there's, there's lots of turns and pivots and moments of uh, reversal and recognition. And it's a very teachable story. Mm. And really one of the more like creative things I've, I've ever read, oh. um, you know, that, that I, that I still feel cap- capable of teaching. Sometimes I read sure. things that are just so like, wow, that was creative. I love it. I don't know what to say about it, but yeah. I love it. Yeah, and, and yeah, so anyway, that's that's some of what some of what I'm I'm reading. If you ever like, if you ever like, um, felt like you kind of like jammed one down the student's throat, like you, you know, this is like this is a story that you love so much, and they're just not having it. <laughs> For sure. For sure. Uh, <laughs> I'm, yeah, 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 yeah. You don't have yeah, to name I mean, it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, it. yeah, I wouldn't name the book even yeah. if I even if I did have it in yeah. mind. But yeah, yeah, that 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 definitely happens. There's mm. that. That's the thing that happens. And sometimes you try to draw like parallels from mm. I don't know, like movie trends or <laughs> music's the worst that you could ever uh... try to do because anything that i know my kids are like oh shut up old man <laughs> you know nobody listens to that okay anymore. boomer yeah yeah exactly exactly <laughs> there's there, you know there's a couple like memes and stuff where it's like you see somebody who's like staring intently at like let's say the boyfriend or girlfriend or wife you know and it's like it's like you know when you you're like hey you got to watch this movie you got to watch this tv show and you're like ready for them to laugh at the same part you laugh at right 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 you know right. what i mean like that's yeah. that's that's us sometimes with our with the stories right like you're gonna love this and they're just like let me experience it and sometimes they yeah. don't love it as much as we do no no that's all right no. though that's all right though and, and what was the first part of your question <laughs> no no problem i don't even remember anymore no I'm just kidding. it okay. was um basically like the idea of like a let's say like a, a coach or something in sports like gets starts watching video and he can't experience the sport as much anymore for its love he's you know he's trying to break down everything Oh yeah. You know, yeah so yeah, like yeah. as a writer, yeah, you know, yeah. knowing the mechanisms of it, like is there ever a time where you're almost like, dang it, I almost wish I could just be more free flowing that it's too like stilted, I guess. I think it's a reason why I, I, I you you haven't asked me this question, but everyone asked me this question. And so it's so I've internalized the question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> why why did you write stories and not a novel? Um and some people are like, you actually, I don't know if you know this, but you wrote a novel. Why do you keep calling it stories? <laughs> But I, I think um, I think one reason that it, it turned out to be stories or labeled as stories in the in the inner uh, flap of the jacket hmm. is, you know, once I figured out how to tell a, a story in in one way, like I I really didn't have much interest in going back and telling that story again in in, in that kind of way. Hmm. I, I felt like I really wanted to teach myself how to write. Um, in in second person long time yeah um in second person shorter time for like thinking of the title story i wanted to write first person um 
in a way that was way more like retrospective, like an older voice yeah, looking back on his right. childhood. And then I wanted to write a first person that was very close to the action, like in independent living. I wanted to, you know, do my third person. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I wanted to try all these things because I, not just because, well, yeah, I wanted to make sure I knew how to actually like work in these different um, modes, but also make sure that those modes kind of fit like what was going on in the character's mm-hmm. psychological or emotional state or or fitting the the actual action of the of, of the story but you know part of that is just i wanted to keep it fresh for myself mm-hmm. um and and continue to experiment and and teach myself how to how to write these stories yeah i, I think i i think i do have that fear that you know, okay, I've got to think, figure it out. So why would I ever do it again? Mm-hmm. I'm having a little bit of a brain freeze on the publisher. FSG, MCD. Okay. <laughs> MCD was under... Um, Ferrar Strauss Jiru. Right, right, right. Right. <laughs> that was a was that a, a little bit of a, a were you kind of like a lukewarm pronunciation there? Because I don't know how to pronounce it either. So I was hoping <laughs> <laughs> you kind of like no. <laughs> sounds, sounds right to me. Yes. I, I yeah. think so. I think I think it's I think it's Jiru. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Just because I used to say something else and then I was shocked when I heard it pronounced this way. <laughs> I, yeah, I could be wrong, you know. FSG. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, in the in the acknowledgments or you know the end notes, um, you write. I mean, sounds like the book, the collection, the thematically linked short stories. The well, sorry, what was the term you used for it? For my book, instead of thematically linked short stories, you use there was a term you've been using, but you talk about maybe you haven't written this book over like a couple decades, even. Uh, a, a decade, a, a decade, a decade. Yeah. So I just love to know about like the continuity of the book and even like the 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 order of the stories. There are what I want to say eight stories, eight. eight, eight stories. So I mean, like you know the the title story, like you said, is the last one. Mm-hmm. Um, they do fall in chronological order. I want to say maybe you know there's flashbacks and flash forwards, but I guess just about like how important was story order mm-hmm. and how you put that together, and then just kind of like continuity where you know. You finished the book, what, 2020, 20? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, <you're... laughs> well, sold, sold the book in 2021, okay. early-ish 2021 spring. Okay. And um, so that's when I call it done, just because yeah. there was like a sure. little bit of editing, you know, working mm-hmm. with the, the editors after that. But truth be told, like I spent so long on the book that I, I went with the editors who weren't going to try to turn it into anything else, yeah. <laughs> you know, because we, we had this big, 14 publishing house um, okay. uh, auction set up. And I yeah. met with all these teams and everyone was so, so wonderful. And, but, you know, mo- and most weren't trying to turn it into anything else, but mm-hmm. every once in a while, you know, there was an, an editor who would say, yeah, let's like really, really take our time and like turn this into mm-hmm. a novel. That's just like more cohesive and, and it's like, I, I respect that idea. And I do believe that also could have been a great book, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it also kind of seemed like I already had a great book. Yeah. And so like, 
like maybe let's work together down the line and I'll, I'll write this other novel, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? But it kind of just seemed like, like why, like if we've already got a, a good thing, which I'm not saying they saw it as a good thing. <laughs> I believe I already had like a really great book. And so I didn't want to mangle it for the, for the um, yeah. sake of mangling it or, or putting someone else's stamp on it just sure. because, you know, I, I you know, I've, I've worked with so many other professors who've looked at this book writers um you know clearly it's it's done really great with reviews and all that mm -hmm. uh what i loved about mcd fsg was they were kind of like yeah we'll 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 put like these finishing touches on it but we're not going to destroy your book yeah and um and thankfully you know what they promised was exactly what they did um, mm -hmm. And then shout out to uh, my UK editor as well. Um, uh, I'm, I'm with Fourth Estate, and the book's coming out okay. in, in February next year in, in the UK and Commonwealth. And so my editor Kish, my editor Jackson, they worked together to give me just one document with both of their notes, and mm -hmm. um, and and that was a really great to just spend time with their with their notes. But there were there were no attempts to mangle my book, thankfully. Yeah. And, makes... and, and, and so to answer your question <laughs> you did <laughs> well over, over over that time you know I, I every time i wrote one story and and then another mm -hmm. and that second story really informed what i'd written before and so i would okay. go back and make sure those those stories were in conversation and, and yeah. so that was really helpful well i love that idea of the stories themselves being in conversation that personification yeah, yeah take mm -hmm. on their own lives mm -hmm. uh <laughs> the book is funny it's hard to be funny on the page right <laughs> that's one that's one i try not to think too hard about uh-huh yeah i don't know it, a lot of times it's a dark humor for sure mm -hmm. yeah but uh but you know i mean there's some there's some laugh out loud parts for sure um so trelawney is the is the narrator right he's um i mean he's yeah he's the the the, the through line of the book in many ways the first right. story is so uh informative you know in informing the rest of them it's yeah. it's in second person it's called in flux Right. And right. it starts off basically with like the question for a eight or nine year old or so, you know, Trelawney, like, what are you right from mm -hmm. from people at school, from people all over? What language is your mother speaking? Someone asks him mm -hmm. um, the narrator, according to his parents, you know, speaks Yankees English is, <laughs> is Yankee. Like, is that a totally like neutral connotation in Jamaica or is that kind of like a you know, like pocho or like whitewashed or like, does it have a negative connotation attached to it? Or depending on who says it, I guess, maybe. I mean, it just means, so Jamaicans, it just means American. Mm. Well, <laughs> I think in context, it, it is meant as a derogatory thing. Okay. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but, but, you know, Tre Trelawney's speaking that, um, you know, he's, the patriotism is drilled into him and he's, He's spinning back out, right? Um, asking, you know, are we black? You know, I think mm -hmm. even directly to his parents mm -hmm. who are describing different family members and, you know, talking about, you know, even, you know, Jamaica with this cultural mix, you know, things about, you know, fitting in at the new schools. Um, there's a Jamaican group. There's, a you know, the Puerto Rican or the Spanish speaking groups, you know, the black American groups, et cetera. And Jeline talks about, writes about how he's, he feels welcome in the library, with the science fiction and conspiracies and such. Right. I love that. Right. I love to, to talk about the juxtaposition with him and his, his brother. Is it Delano or Delano? Delano. 
So Delano, I mean, there's definitely a juxtaposition set up. How how does juxt how is how is he like making his family proud? At you know, especially in the younger date years, while Trelawney is not. Or is that too over? Am I oversimplifying that too much? No, I wouldn't say so. I mean, he he looks more like his father. He's the firstborn son who looks more like his father. He's inherited his father's blue eyes, which his father dreamed of passing on. <laughs> that was the one thing he didn't want his wife Sonia to to mess up. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's also got her, his favorite um, t- topper. The father wanted uh, his children to inherit Sonia, his wife's. Uh, teeth <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. and and so delano's got you know the best of both parents via you know through topper's eyes sure. in, in topper's eyes and um but he's also kind of athletic he he picks up music really quickly mm-hmm. he um is is seemingly well liked by other children um, other children see him as a kind of leader. They want him mm. to be the quarterback for for his team, um, and 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 he has seemed to retain his Jamaicanness in a sense, mm. or he's he's at least like finding a, an acceptable balance of um, you know retaining his Jamaican identity while growing up in the United States for the most part. Mm-hmm. While you know Trelawney doesn't. He he, you know, he rejects the aki. He thinks the aki yes, tastes yes, nasty yes, as yes. a kid. He um, is a, a bookish, quiet kid who who doesn't appear to even necessarily understand what his father's saying, mm-hmm. um, at least from his father's point of view. Um, he is kind of someone who I, I think most of the men in the in the well in in his family and. and Speaking of Delano, speaking of Topper, they both have artistic tendencies or or desires. Um, But, you know, Topper, talking to his own father, his father told him, you'd better not try to be a fashion designer. If you you can do it, but you can get the hell out of my house if you're going to do it. Or you can um, work at my construction company. And I, I think he gets that message that that, I mean, that's how he's able to provide for his family while they're in Jamaica. And then you know, for a time, he he finds it hard to to be a provider in the U.S., but he is able to build build a business as a contractor, and so these like more traditionally masculine roles have kind of worked out more for Topper. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in part because he's 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 chosen not to um, to pursue that that love of, of design. Um, Meanwhile, while Delano, he does have his musical aspirations. He also is has that kind of same entrepreneurial spirit where he does mm-hmm. a landscaping tree service kind of job. And that's where Topper is willing to let, loan him money to start his own business. Right. Meanwhile, Trelawney with his artistic interest is, is going off to college and wants to be a writer and his father's not behind that and he doesn't give him any money for his education. And I think he just sees him as this kind of strange kid that he doesn't, he he doesn't quite, um, you know, understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and even as Trelawney is trying to, after a while, after, after a time, he's trying to newly embrace his Jamaicanness. Right. He, he was, he was less interested in mm-hmm. as a kid back when he mm-hmm. thought he could be like, um, an ideal American boy, and then he comes to think, oh well, 
I'm not being treated as an ideal American boy. Maybe I can be an ideal Jamaican. And, and his father says, no, actually you cannot be. And yeah. you don't know anything about Jamaica. In fact, mm. you know, I find you, well, he calls him a nasty name. And, and, and so there's this the with a B? Well, be, before the, before the one starts with D, right? Yeah, exactly. Not, not a bad word, but within the context of the book, but sorry, <laughs> right, right. Start, start to interrupt, but the, the word that starts with B, the four letter word, is that, I mean, is that like a homophobic slur basically? Be Butu? Oh, no, no, no. Um, no, that's like a classist. Um, ah, okay. Uh, yeah, that's like what you might call someone you see as, as low class. Okay, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Butu, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, at one point he, he does <laughs> seem to, uh, he, he says that he's, he's acting like a Butu. Right. Uh, beforehand. And, like you talk about, there's such a sweep in that story, right? I mean, you talk about like, he, there's such a great, there's so many excerpts from this book that could just work on their own. They're so awesome. They're so great. The the one about like going deep on his Jamaican heritage, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's like deep, like, you know, yeah, this, yeah, yeah. This, this cultural illusion, deep, like this music, mm-hmm. deep, right. like, you know, some like screw the Wayans brothers, something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, but, you know, and then of course going to that Midwest college where it's like, you know, shifting racial identities and, I, I got to think, I mean, it's safe to say he feels like he's being treated like a trophy in many, many ways. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Kind of uh, exoticized in a right. way. And that story ends with, um, with the DNA testing. He's, he still doesn't have an answer to that question. I love the cyclical nature of that story just on its own, where it comes back to the same point, you know, right. who am I, what am I, who, right. you know, who am I in this world? And, right. you know, and seeing that, that DNA report and such. Second person, which is one of like, I don't feel like that story could have been anything other than second person. But again, it's, it's difficult. You know better than I that the second one is also second person that's under uh, that's topper the father's story it's his rhythm right, right? Mm-hmm. under the Ak- Aki is that you pronounce it? Correct. Under the Aki tree. He writes about how uptown an uptown Kingston kid has has options. Right. And he kind of like kind of like through through the three women who are maybe like you know, possibilities for him. Mm-hmm. How did you get into the mindset of the father, not just language wise, but like, you know, mm-hmm. being an older person and just in that kind of that flashback and also doing that in second person. How did you, where did that story come from in particular? Yeah, I was, I was thinking about um, Trelawney trying to get a hold of his, um, identity i guess or mm. is jamaicanist deciding you know whether that's even a, a worthy goal to retain his jamaicanist mm. in the, the united states as the you know american born one and the son of jamaicans and what i came to realize is that when i was exploring that you know that was not necessarily Trelawney's story to, to to tell or to begin mm. and i wanted to actually explore well why did this family actually make that decision to leave Jamaica and come to the U S and I, w- I wanted to start. Um, I mean, the, the major tension in terms of the, the parents, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that gets Trelawney in trouble is that his mother decides um, after, well, right when Trelawney is graduating college, she decides to leave the U S and so right. 
Jelani no longer has that safety net of his mother who probably wouldn't let a lot of the things that happened to him happen to him mm. were she around. Topper, on the other hand, is this character who um, is, is not super willing to, to, to be that safety net for his son. And um, so, so I wanted to explore him because I, I didn't want him to be totally villainized in, in the book. Yeah. And um, something I, I wanted to explore like with that, that opening line though with if you're in uptown Kingston, the the son of uptown kingston mm-hmm. you know, the only son you, his his options come from his class in a sense and right you know there, there are lots of like interesting little things that i found um difficult to convey to american readers mm-hmm. one of which is that not all jamaicans live in shacks <laughs> in the yeah. ghetto <laughs> yeah some people there are lots of wealthy jamaicans there are, are lots of middle class jamaicans i i wanted to uh explore that because even as their this family comes into um serious financial trouble mm-hmm. in the u.s they didn't they weren't in that situation when they're in jamaica they're actually mm-hmm. pretty okay um his his again his father owns a construction company like he he was doing well um until there's this uh political turmoil that uh happens in the 1970s and so what's happening in that story largely i wanted it to i wanted him to start with all the options essentially Mm. and move him towards the u.s and move him forward in age and move him along this line of limited you know increasingly limited options and when he says this thing to Trelawney, this incredibly well, Trelawney says something hurtful to him, which is that you you made a horrible decision, leave in Jamaica, you know, like shame on you, you 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 mm-hmm. effed everything up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he responds in a very hurtful way, and then Trelawney responds with a physical action <laughs> yes. that you know serves to attempt to 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 put a final end to um, some of the possibilities of moving Topper's legacy forward in mm. in the United States, and um, that was that was kind of the thinking, you know, moving from lots of options to to, to very few, uh, right while exploring this middle-class Jamaican also like middle-class um, you could say light-skinned, you could say multi-gen mixed, however you want to put it um, Jamaican who had a lot of privilege where he's coming from and mm. um, has to kind of fight his way back up into the middle-class in, in the U S and, and right. kind of gets there, but at a heavy cost. Definitely. I was, I was really struck by the idea of, um, of Topper oftentimes saying things like, Hey, you know, you don't want to go to Jamaica. You don't know about Jamaica. You don't know about the violence. You don't know about this and that, but also like defending it and also putting it down. And I, and I know that goes across all, you know, all immigrant groups, all groups of people, you know what I mean? Where, wherever home is like, I know it better than you do, but I love it. And I, you know, I hate it. I, all the above, you know? Right. Right. So like you said, it wasn't, you don't just paint him with one brush kind of thing. Um, give him yeah, hands. yeah, exactly. And and kind of saying, Shalani, like, why aren't you more Jamaican? But also you could never be Jamaican. Yes, exactly. That's exactly, exactly. <laughs> I don't like you because you're not Jamaican enough, but also. And if you do, like, damn if you don't. Yeah. Right. There's nothing you could do to actually make yourself Jamaican enough. So, right. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> and I love, I love 
I love painting these kind of uh, or exploring anyway, like these mm. really impossible right. uh, dynamics. Because uh, I, I think we as human beings like want to believe there's an answer mm. to every problem, and I that's my worldview is that there is not a, a, exactly. a good answer. There's not a good answer for every problem, right? Yeah. Well, and I, the the scene where he goes back, you know, he had a he had a baby with Jody, right? Yeah. In mm-hmm. Jamaica, and that scene, you, you know, you talk a lot about class. I mean, mm-hmm. he even he seems to be shocked by the poverty, right? That yeah, she's living yeah. in, right? And he's basically like, was it basically like the baby was sleeping, and he was just like, all right, peace out. The the, the phrasing the, was dead to the dead to life or dead to the world, some of that. But I was like, is he sleeping? Uh, he he says she's been she's been dead from time. So from time. Yes, and that's like a Jamaican thing we we I say. So. Okay. Um, yeah, the, yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> the baby. So the yeah. So the baby does not survive this this poverty um, oh, no. that he uh, that he himself like he 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 couldn't even really imagine that people are living in in such poverty. Right. For you know, for listeners, Jody is the 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 she was the what, what they call in Jamaica a helper. Like they mm. they avoid the word maid, basically. Oh, okay. Or but but a helper can do a lot of things. Sometimes your helper is more of a cook. Sometimes mm. they're more of a cleaner. Sometimes they look after the kids. Usually that's kind of negotiated, um, you know, one on one. And so Jody was the family helper when they lived in Jamaica. And um, there's this there's this one time affair that, that, that takes place. And, and he never really considered, you know, where she was coming from and like the, mm-hmm. you know, as, as much economic precarity as this family faces, like Jody was, was born into, in, into much worse. And, right. um, uh, and so he has to kind of, you know, at least, at least face that for, for a short time. Well, for sure, you know, there's definitely a theme that goes through the book of like father-son relationships or father-children relationships, which mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it's kind of a kind of a generic term. But you know, you talk about the way that he that he dealt with, um, you know, his his is a daughter, right? His daughter in Jamaica, not a son. Uh, it was a son. It was a, it was okay, so he, yeah. So the way you know, in a later story called Splashdown, this is is it pronounced Cookie? Yeah, mm-hmm. Cookie, the cousin, right? And it's yeah. about him and his relationship with his father, who's pretty much you know, who's not around, who left the family, who left his, his, his wife, um, the mother early, but I'm just, I see those comparisons between like, I was just struck by how Ox, the father was just so like callous, but that's not even the word. Just like, eh, cool. What's up, son. You know, when his son comes to find him, how's it going? <laughs> right. He's never really too upset when he leaves. He's never too happy. You know, he's not upset. He's not mad. Mm. It's kind of like, Oh, cool. He's here when he's here, he's here. And, you know, and I won't give away too much of that story. That story is an incredible, um, you know, journey, uh, the splashdown. But just, um, you know, obviously father-son relationships. The ending of that story, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know, of course, we talked a little bit about Trelawney and the way he deals with his father. His father thinks he's soft. He's he's Americanized. He's whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, so there's a lot going on there. And then, of course, with Delano. There's also the idea of questionable business ethics or practices. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, which one? <laughs> right? yeah, all over the place. All yeah. the above, like in, in, <laughs> <Right>? in, <laughs> independent Absolutely. living is, um, you know, kind of midway through. How how old is Trelawney? Let's say in in independent living, like Musselmano's, like twenty five, thirty, twenty five. Uh, about uh, getting up to closer to thirty. I think yeah. About, yeah. 
but you know so he i mean the beginning of that story is just like whoa puts you into it um it's quote if you ask me what do you do for a living i might admit i hunt elderly people i wrangle them force them into stiff scratchy chairs before interrogating them i get out of them whether they have a job or a niece who sends them checks every month you know etc he's he's fallen on hard times after he got basically kicked out by his dad mm. and he's doing some things that are morally shady to say the least, you know, but mm-hmm. it's also like how much of it is survival. Right. But he's basically like, right. I mean, it's kind of, you know, there's even, even when an, an older person dies and this, you know, independent living for seniors, it's like, okay, who's next. Right. <laughs> you know, right. Keep, keep the money flowing through. Cause his job, right. you know, maybe on the chopping block. So, right. You know, ox, you know, and some of the things he does with his like trapping of, of crabs and, and, and the business, all of that. And then even Delano, when he has his own business, mm-hmm. You know, with the with the shady business practices, it is a lot of like, okay, well, it's almost like you really gave us a, an in inside view of things maybe we don't want to know about, <laughs> you know, but we can we can definitely benefit from, right? Like, yeah. in order for someone to live in in the upper in you know the housing that's more expensive, someone's got to live in one that's not as expensive, you know. So, hmm. I guess I wonder. I don't know if if I'm unifying too much, but I wonder what you're kind of trying to say, maybe consciously or subconsciously about like survival and the things that people do that are not always the most morally or ethically, you know, correct, quote unquote. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, much much of what you described about the job that Trelawney's doing in independent living, I mean, it's, it's, it's his job, you know, if he's to do the job and get paid and not get fired and uh, you know, he's, he, I mean, he does things, he, he does do things that would also get him fired um, that would be morally questionable. He, he takes mm. bribes. <laughs> sure, like sure. He, he doesn't necessarily like respond to the bribes, but he takes cash. He, uh-huh. uh, he, he can't get caught sleeping in these dead people's apartments or, or even. <laughs> that sounds kind of, someone, someone just checking in on this episode. Like you heard correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> can't get caught sleeping in dead people's apartments. Yep. Yep. But I guess I am interested in that, like where we draw the the lines for mm. what's right and what's wrong, what we call right and what we call wrong. And yeah. um, it's like, if it's, uh, it's, it's I mean, I, I found that it's a federally subsidized, low income elderly housing mm. uh, apartment building. And so all of the practices they're they're okayed like not just by this nonprofit organization, it's sure. okay by the federal government. Right. Yeah. And so everything they're doing is, is, is legal. It's, it's, and so one might say, Oh, okay, this is right. And it's like, Oh, this mm-hmm. is how we treat our elderly in this country. We have decided mm-hmm. that this is okay to, um, uh, you know, they're dead today. We throw all this stuff out tomorrow. We get a next person. Right. We have a waiting list. And if you don't answer my first set of yeah. calls, you get, you know, um, we're going to move on to the next one. Yeah. You might scratch your name off the list. Um, you're probably going to die and wait trying to get into this place. We're going to raise your rent at every opportunity. Seriously. Um, we're going to avoid you. Once you're in, we're going to avoid you at all costs unless it's time <laughs> to actually re-sign your lease. And then we're going to dig into every detail of your life to try to understand, like, how much money we can milk from you. And, uh but that is the job and that's legal and that's okay. And that's, you know, government sanctioned. And 
you know, Trelawney's trying to understand that, right? So he, a woman comes into the office and she, she gives him the big bribe. She says, you know, I will pay you all of this money to get to the top of this list. And he's trying to understand, like, how do you survive in this world? Because at this point, he's living out of his car. Mm -hmm. He's like, how do I be a good man and, and, and still survive in this world? And he's, he wants to have her, she offers to, to cook dinner, but she's also suspicious of him kind of like, you know, what do you really want from me? And really what he wants is to understand, like, how do you survive mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and how do you be good? And are those things mutually exclusive? Right. Right. Yeah. Oftentimes not throughout the, throughout the collection. I mean, definitely race and racism are definitely throughout the book, you know, just especially towards the beginning, like in that main story with like this, I guess the stratifications in race, you know, even among the family, but like, you know, how, when he was, you know, he wasn't found to be speaking Spanish all of a sudden he was, you know, he was a black American. He was Mm. outcast by one group and, Mm -hmm. you know, just the idea of, of, you know, certain groups having things in common because of Mm -hmm. language, because of, Mm-hmm. whatever um that that last story again without giving away too much that story on its own is just an incredible you know work of art um the ending of that story is one that i will remember for such a long time you you kind of alluded to it earlier the idea of like a an old uh, someone looking back and this idea of like almost like a prescriptive here's what you should do right mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you're gonna forget this so here's what you really did do um, right Right. Mm-hmm. But, but anyways, in that last story, I mean, basically, Trelawney is picks up like a Craigslist ad mm-hmm. and this, this for this couple to be part of like their role playing, basically. Right. Right. Exactly. Like he's going to be like a voyeur, like on their sex life. Right. And, right. Right. You know, some of the scenes you do such a great job. We don't know for sure that they were set up by the couple, but probably were, maybe were. And I mean, to say that that Trelawney was was abused and dis- discriminated against is is putting it lightly. I mean, it was you know, pretty disgusting um, behavior. Right. But, he, but he's also like, shoot, I really, really, really need the money. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But even uh, I, I think it was in the last story, right. Where he's, he's become a teacher by this point and his principal is basically just openly, you know, saying racist things and racist procedures about the school. Right. In the end, and this goes, I mean, home, of course, you've talked about home is such a huge part of the, the book. In the end, the mom who had moved back to Jamaica, like you said, Mm-hmm. Now it's not like she wants to go to Italy. She's got a job with the like the consulate. Mm-hmm. She says, you know, basically Charlene's like, hey, aren't you amongst your people? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. She says, quote, sometimes you aren't one of your people anymore. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Which was obviously such a deep line. The The book has so much of the, I guess, in, uh, implied racism and, and some that's so, so blatant. I wonder how much of the implied was meant to be implied. How much of it do you think kind of was a subconscious thing? How much did you go to the, to the page saying, I want racism to be one of the themes. Mm. I don't need a percentage, you know, well, <laughs> 87%. You know, it, it'll sounds weird to say, but like for most of the book, I, I wasn't thinking about racism I was thinking about just like race, uh-huh. and I, I I guess I find like there's a, there's this hard for me to think about race without kind of criticizing it, critiquing it, I guess mm-hmm. more than, than criticizing it, but trying to understand like how we categorize ourselves in the first place. Like I, I, it's it's hard for me to 
imagine race with without racism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like where these dividing lines come in, or or without at least I don't know. I, I don't know if that's a fully formed thought. I, I I think it's just like you your description of of the question was really well put in terms of trying to understand. The more I talk about it, the, the less I, I understand it. To be <laughs> honest, because it's like, is it? He, he he Chelani mixes with the Puerto Rican boys until they learn he he doesn't speak Spanish because he's not Puerto Rican and he's Jamaican and they kick him out of the group but he but he looks like them mm-hmm. and it's this funny thing where I imagine like Jamaica was actually first colonized by the Spanish and I wonder if if mm-hmm. the Spanish were able to hold on to the island um and and not be defeated by the english um then they would have been they they, they would have been I, I guess he would have fit <laughs> like history would have led him to speak mm-hmm. in spanish and, and fitting at this at this table um wow. and but it's that simple thing of, of language and also again like the, the boys prejudice against black people or, mm-hmm. and even as some of them themselves may be grew up to be perceived as black people in america at, at that moment they're they are drawing the boundaries they're 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 excluding along this this particular line of an idea of blackness um that is that is not just about skin color or, or phenotypic traits mm-hmm. um and and then the jamaican boys who are who are darker skinned than Chelani, they also exclude him because he doesn't look like them mm-hmm. and um, and and maybe doesn't quite have that hasn't quite retained his parents' language enough or the knowledge of Jamaica. They mm-hmm. make him do funny tests to 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 prove he's Jamaican, and um, you know I don't think any answers will will really suffice um, because they're really just making him uh, uh, humiliate him himself for for yeah. their entertainment. Um, and so yeah, I'm, I'm I mean I'm I'm just always curious about you know the way we like pretend like all of these answers are are super simple when mm. there are gray areas and for some people they live in those those gray areas i i think and we we rarely think about those those people hmm. yeah. thank you i appreciate that appreciate that response obviously family dynamics uh father son just the way that the you know the brothers see each other and those behaviors manifest expectations of manhood you know the idea of basically um they were split into you know the the family of four was split into two and two mm-hmm. early on with the divorce right because of the cheating of uh of topper mm-hmm. um there's one paragraph i won't do justice to as much as you it's, it's on page 212 and get one of the things about this book that's so great is just like that so many like what could have been mm-hmm this is Trelawney with his father and he, he, he feels like he really has his father's attention because they're talking about money. They're talking about the house. Right. Quote, you could say any number of things now that you have his attention, have it because he wants something from you in return, perhaps for the first time in your life. You might demand that he tell you where he was those nights you cradled your distraught mother in your 10 year old arms as Alano and you passed the phone back and forth, calling everyone in your mother's address book because you hadn't seen him in days. You might ask if it was laziness that made him choose Delano when your parents split. The mere fact of his being older meaning there would be less parenting left to do. Or if he saw himself in Delano in his duplicated eyes. 
but answers in the mouth of the trustworthy are worthless. So you say, I need you to tell Delano he'll have to leave, unquote. I have a really flimsy microphone or else I would drop it. That, that line, answers in the mouths of the untrustworthy are worthless. I mean, that's that's uh, that's some incredible writing there. And just, the, again, the idea of like, this was his time. He could have said it, but he didn't. <laughs> he didn't. <laughs> yeah. But he didn't. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I think part of the project of the it's not really the project of the book. It's just my, um, one of my obsessions is like, how do you ever get an answer to those things that you are, to the questions that you're obsessed with. Mm. And like, once somebody has let you down in, in really incredibly profound ways, like can, can they ever come back from that? And I think that was something I was interested in exploring in the Trelawney and Topper dynamic, as Mm. well as in the cookie and ox dynamic. Okay. And it's like, you know, Cookie at the end of his story, he 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 wants to know what kind of man his father is. And I don't really think there's anything that Ox can say that will put Cookie's mind at, at ease. Hmm. But what Ox ultimately does is is the truer answer. It's the truest answer yep, that he yep, could ever yep. get. And Cookie, in a sense, needed to know. <laughs> and and his needing to know. And his getting the answer, he finally gets the answer, but it comes out of, you know, the very high cost. And I, I think Chelani in this moment is our, at the end of the book, or in this story that's at the end of the mm-hmm. book, is kind of articulating that, like, like what what the hell could Topper possibly say at this point that is actually going to be believable? Because I just don't trust my father. Who, who or what is... Is there a lot of survival? What are they? What are the people surviving? If I survive you, is the story itself mm-hmm. and the title of the collection. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, so a lot of this, the second person is operating as Trelawney um, talking to himself, or Topper talking to himself, and talking through the what has occurred in their lives and the decisions that they've made. Chalani is often making terrible decisions Mm. um, in my opinion. I mean, maybe not. Sometimes he's making hard decisions. Sometimes the options are all terrible. So it's like, choose that terrible one or this terrible one. Yes. But um, in some of the first person stories, I I should also mention there's this kind of direct address to the, to the reader, like, well, what, what the hell would you do? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> at one point he asks, you know, he falls asleep dreaming of, um, he's been watching these documentaries on rhinos getting poached oh, yeah. and he wants to defend them, but he also falls asleep imagining that, you know, and this, he's homeless essentially at this point, he's the working homeless and he, or the work working unhoused and he is, falling asleep imagining that he's at this fancy party at a mansion and they've ground up the very last unicorn horn and Mm. people are lining up to snort it because there's a promise of everlasting health and life and um despite his want to defend these rhinos he's like but would i do it and he's like would you do it and you know he wants to know like what what does it mean to be like good in this world and like where do we how do we navigate that and where where's the line and wouldn't yeah. you like shouldn't you try to save yourself even at the cost of others and he's he's constantly trying to make that decision um and sometimes he is deciding for himself sometimes he's deciding a, a, against himself i think mm. uh, he could do worse things and he would pull himself out of homelessness quicker yeah 
Um, so, you know, that you is a, it's a slippery you from the, the larger project of the book, mm-hmm. the title. I mean, will, will he, dis- will Jelani survive? Will these characters survive themselves in a sense when they're, mm-hmm. you know, but will they also, will they survive this society that we all have created together in ways bigger, big and small, you know, mm-hmm. we're all contributing to the world that we, that we live in. And, um, you know, the world that has been created that Jelani lives in has not been created. He's, he's not one of the main characters you see, right. He's not, you rarely see a, a main character like Jelani in literature, for example. Yeah. Right. It's like, will this world wasn't built for him. And so will he survive in it? And he has his own doubts, you know, he, he realizes there's a line in that final story where, you know, he's, he's talking about this idea of what he would tell to his, his children and his grandchildren. And then he has this, he kind of stops and he's like, has this realization, like, but people like me, like rarely actually survive to, mm. to, to, to see, to even have grant to live, to see grandchildren. Mm. Um, and he's, he's aware of um, the fact that what he, you know, do in part to some of his choices, but do in part to some of his options or all of his options, his bad options. Um, he he may not survive at all. Hmm. And so the so that question of survival, you know, it's very there's there's surviving. You know what when you're when your your parents die and you you know they're survived by you if you're still there. <laughs> right. You know, what's what's going to be passed on from generation to generation? Will Jamaican this in this family survive for example? Will that culture survive through mm. through the children? But there's also literal survival, you know. Some some of these characters don't survive the book and um I don't know. It's my worldview. I, I, you know, I, I got a. I was uh, invited to do some oral storytelling for for a class I'm in, and mm. I was just like, I was racking up all the friends I've had who have been murdered. You know, oh god, um, family members, not my family members, but murdered by their own family members, or uh, you know, killed otherwise. And uh, yeah, I don't. Life is if you get through it, <laughs> I'm grateful to be, uh, have made it to this age, you know, mm. and, and that's just, that's the, that's the world I've seen. So, um, that's the landscape that these characters are, are kind of operating in. Mm. Thanks so much for sharing that world. Thanks so much for putting us into it. It, it definitely goes up there with some of the, the best short story collections I've read. And I mean that it's, um, yeah, I think it had to be a short story collection. I think there's just so much, there's so much uniqueness in each story, even though they are thematically linked. Um, so please brag about yourself a little bit, like as in, um, you know, social media, um, you know, where to find you, where to buy the book, if you have any special indie bookstores, that kind of thing. And again, you could, I know you won't because you're a writer, and that's what you do, but you could definitely rest on your laurels after this. This is just a work of art that you put out there, but, you know, I'd love to know maybe what else you might be working on. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I, I I'm working on a novel, uh, also coming out through MCD FSG. All right. Um, date to be determined. Mm-hmm. And uh, you could find me. I keep my my website pretty up to date. Your John, website is is dope. Right. Your website is really really good. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I've seen some pedestrian cool. ones. Yours is yeah, it is. Thank you. It's it's DIY um, only because. I realize I'm actually like quite the control freak when it comes to my writing career. Okay. 
when it comes to like jobs and other things, I'm kind of like, I don't care. Like, put me on, <laughs> put me on a team assignment. I'll lead it or I'll just take a backseat. I just don't care. But when it comes to my writing life, I want my hands on every single thing. Yeah. And I just could not imagine giving my website, even like my website password to anybody else, even if they're going to create the greatest design ever. It's so. not Trelawney. Your password is not Trelawney. <laughs> Trelawney, okay. one, two, okay. three. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can find me on uh, Twitter as well. J underscore at Scoffrey. Do your best with the spelling. I'll pop up. <laughs> yeah, right. I know. Right? Uh, and, and Instagram. Uh, it's Esco out. And, it's even harder. Esco out and play. But uh, if you just type my full name, I'll, I'll pop yeah, up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll share it on the, on the episode links and everything like that. I know that you're going to be uh, at city lights tonight. This is going to be this, this episode will be airing after that, but um, you're, yes, is your book skylight books in LA oh, okay. on October 14th. Okay. Just in case the uh, episode airs before that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, uh, I hope to, to, to go to one of your readings being that you're Bay area. And um, again, it was just so awesome to talk to you. Thanks for um, letting us into your head and, and talking about this great work of art. And it really is one. So, you know, thanks again it. and best of best of luck and all and everything else you do. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was it was fun getting to talk. So thanks for having me. Appreciate you. Thank you so much. Hello, and thanks again as always for listening. I appreciate anybody who listens to even one episode, and I appreciate everyone who's listened to so many. You keep me going. I'm so excited to share that now official on Patreon. You can find my Patreon page, become a member, is patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. Again, that's patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. My name, of course, is P-E-T-E-R-R-I-E-H-L. Patreon.com backslash Chills at Will podcast Peter Real. You can become a member today. The page is officially launched. There are three tiers of membership. Official patron membership tier is $3 a month. And with that, you'll get access to all interview episodes when they're published, mostly on Tuesdays with some published on Fridays. There are two to four interviews published each month. Lastly, you'll receive the monthly newsletter with reading recommendations, literary event calendar, and the Chills of Will podcast news, and you'll get a shout-out on a future episode. That is the official patron tier of membership for $3 a month. There's the $5 a month for the all-access patron. With the all-access patron membership, you'll have access to all new interview episodes. Each month, like I said, there are two to four interview episodes. You'll get access to those as well as a monthly bonus episode or two that is an interview or an exploration of themes through two or three texts. One example would be an episode that I did called Righteous and Justified Anger that was explored through the works by Langston Hughes and Ralph Ellison or The Power of Flashback was one episode which explored the endings of The Godfather Part 2 sleepers and that was then this is now with the all access patron membership you'll also receive a refrigerator magnet with the chills at will podcast logo 
and the monthly newsletter with reading recommendations, literary event calendar, and the Chills of Will podcast news. You will get a shout-out on a future episode, too. With the VIP patron tier, which is $10 a month, you'll get access to all episodes, a monthly newsletter with reading suggestions, and a calendar of literary events and updates on the Chills at Will podcast, access to a monthly AMA, Ask Me Anything, and a t-shirt with the Chills at Will podcast logo. There are two to four monthly episodes and one or two bonus episodes, which are interviews or discussions of themes as seen through multiple texts. VIP patrons will also receive a special shout-out on a future episode. I encourage you to please join Patreon for the Chills Will podcast. As I say all the time, this is truly a labor of love. This is truly a DIY operation. I started in April of 2020, and it has been an absolute pleasure, 99.999% fun. I've gotten to interview people like Disha Filia, what? Matt Bell, Brandon Hobson, Luis Alberto Orrea, Jean Guerrero, Gustavo Arellano, Taylor Bias, Gabby Bates, Alice Elliot Dark, Nadia Owusu, and so, so, so many more. Did I say Jess Walter? Did I say Jeff Perlman? Ingrid Rojas Contreras, Jamil John Kochai, Morgan Talti, Sadie Shore Parks, Rachel Yoder, Vanessa Angelica Villarreal, Kirsten Chen, Sam Quinones, Ion Grillo, Raina Kelly, Zach Harper, Michael Torres, Tracy Kato Kirayama, S.J. Sindhu, Roberto Lovato, Todd Goldberg, Steph Cha, Noel Kassler, Reina Grande, James Tate Hill, Navdeep Dylan Singh, Nikisha Elise Williams, Mia St. John, Susan Muladi Daraj, Sarah Borjas, and the list goes on and on. Future episodes include conversations with Robert Jones Jr., with Allegra Hyde, with Justin Tinsley, Javier Zamora, Tommy Dean, Elizabeth Williamson, Jose Antonio Vargas, Yasmin Ramirez, Kai Harris, Laura Worrell, with Erica Wirth, so, so, so many cool people that I still need to interview, that I still look forward to talking to. Patreon.com backslash Chills at Will podcast Peter Real. What are you waiting for? See you over there. Mm-hmm.